Hosea chapter 14. And just so you know, a little handy-dandy tool that is found in your bulletin is uh, one there is obviously a note section, but there's also, uh, the page is also, I'm trying to make sure that the page is also listed on here. So I believe it's 759 in your pew Bible. So a little audience participation first. Audience, congregation, what is this, uh, the Tonight Show or something? If you are looking back on your life, if you're looking back on your life and uh, you could say, oh my gracious, I have had defining moments in my life where uh, something has radically changed in my life, either a perspective or a relationship or uh, just your general whatever, what are some of those defining moments that you could say, oh, here is a defining moment that took place in my life? Go. Salvation. Salvation. Okay, life in Christ. Responding to the gospel. Other, other uh, life-defining moments. Childbirth. Childbirth, yes. Childbirth. Alexis. When you find out that your brain tumor has shrunk. Amen. That is, that's not just defining, that's, ah, okay, hey Jesus. Other, other uh, things, life-defining kind of moments. Marriage, yes, marriage. You got a good one, Carol. Others, yeah, even death, life and death, both ends of the spectrum. What else? Yeah, watching grow up in the Lord, yeah. Any other life-defining kind of moments? Yeah, kids leaving. Yeah, that's like a, huh. There's joy and sorrow all at that same moment. Any other moments? I'm sorry, leaving your home, yeah. We're trying. Weddings, engagements. Uh, I, there's even certain places um, that kind of have fond moments, memories for me. I, I think about uh, Christmas Eve Eve uh, at the shack in the back at Camp Manitoba, an engagement moment. I, I even re I remember the smoky smell in the house because of a, a fire that was in the fireplace. And I remember the moments of helping do dishes, trying to distract Laura so I can get the ring ready to present. The engagement, the, the moments of joy. I, there's uh, discovering the first time hearing the words cancer. And the fear that it kind of strikes in your heart of the, what is the, the next season of life going to look like? Job changes. Both the joy and the sorrow of changing jobs. I think about moves from one place to another place. Significant trips. I, I, I'll always remember our first time to Mexico. I'll remember our first time to the Outer Banks of North Carolina our first trip as a married couple to Destin, Florida. 
life-defining moments. And so what is true of our life that we live also is true with our spiritual life as well, right? There's also those, for those who become followers of Christ, our relationship with Christ begins with a common uh, defining moment of responding to the gospel. And it's a, it's, a, it's a turning point. It's kind of a shaping point in responding to the gospel. And it starts with a moment that is called repentance. It is, it, to become a Christian means that you, you are turning away from yourself and you are turning towards Christ. It's the responding in faith to the gospel. And repentance means that you are turning away from your sin, yourself, your wants, your needs, and you are turning towards Christ. To put it in the terminology of, of Hosea, the book that we've been walking through, repentance means concluding that the ways of the Lord are right. His ways are right. In chapter 14, in this final message, From this book, there is a call to embrace a turning point or a defining moment. So before we read this last chapter, I want to kind of give you a, so why did did I jump into Hosea? Some of you are going, yeah, I'm kind of glad. This has been kind of a, a rough book. Some of you are going, this has been so good for my soul. I've needed to hear this. So why did, why did we jump into Hosea? Well, back in October, I kind of jumped on, or gave you these reasons. Hosea helps us to remember the beauty of God's grace. It helps us to remember the beauty of God's grace by actually feeling and experiencing the scandal of sin. We, we see and experience His grace when we also feel and experience the scandal of sin. It's meant to kind of speak to, to not just your, your mind, but it's meant to speak to your heart as you feel that tension. Uh, another reason was because many believers avoid the 12 minor prophets. They avoid them. But the reality is Hosea through uh, Malachi are, have a lot of valuable lessons for us to learn. And we also need to remember that all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it. And it is therefore, since it is breathed out by God, it is profitable. Even the 12 minor prophets. Another reason is because Hosea addresses the painful problem of spiritual adultery. And that issue of spiritual adultery did not end in the Old Testament. Spiritual adultery is something that you and I continue to struggle with in our lives. Spiritual adultery. It it didn't go off the scene. It didn't disappear with the beginning of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are still struggling with spiritual adultery. And lastly, another reason, because Hosea has multiple foreshadowings of the Gospel in it. So my hope was in this series, it would force you to kind of stop and say, What? Whoa! And then finally, wow, that grace is amazing. My prayer is that you would see the seriousness, the scandal, the sinfulness of sin, but you would also see the greatness of God's love towards you. Um, 
So the theme of Hosea since, uh, since week one has always been this. God gives grace to wayward people because He is God. God gives grace to wayward people because He is God. So central to this grace that is found in God is, is, is repentance, a turning point. So let, let's, uh, let's take a look at this final chapter, uh, Hosea chapter 14. Please stand for the reading. Listen carefully because this has something for you regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey. Listen carefully to these words. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to Him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow and they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From you, from me shall come your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So often in the Bible, the case is that the first word of a chapter can often be really important. And we find that here divinely that this first word of Hosea chapter 14 is a critical word. It kind of sets the theme. It sets the priority for the rest of the chapter. Listen to it. It is return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Return, O Israel. The book of of Hosea was written because the people of Israel were, were stumbling in their own sins. Their wealth, their political culture, the spiritual idolatry were like rocks in the path. They were stumbling in their sin. And ho- as they were walking along, they kept on stumbling over and over and over these issues. 
They kept on struggling in them. And Hosea is trying to wake them up, startle them up to the reality and the foolishness of what is happening. And this is the entire purpose of the illustration of Hosea's marriage to this this woman, Gomer. The story and the image are designed to pull on the heartstrings of God's people and to shock their consciences. The people had become so accustomed to the way things were that this poignant metaphor was necessary. So Hosea was calling on their conscience, uh, the people to help them to realize their own, their own stumbling. They had become so accustomed. And friends, this is true for me. I've become so accustomed to my sinfulness. I, I don't know about you, but I love Saturdays that are free, right? Amen? Where it's like after a long, hard work week, I love to be totally free. I love to be totally free all the way to the point where I would prefer not to shower all day, right? And after a while, you become just so accustomed to your own funk where it's like, yeah, it's just kind of the way it is until you wake up in the morning kind of like this and you go, whoa. But we, we become so accustomed, so familiar with the funk of our lives that we don't even realize that it's even there, right? And that's true for you. It's true for me when it comes to the sin of our lives. We become so accustomed to the funk that it just becomes normal. The way that we live. And so there, it, we, we're kind of like that proverbial frog in a kettle where we're slowly turning up the heat where after a while you don't even realize it but you're being cooked. And that's the way it is when it comes to sin. And so Hosea is saying, hey, return to the Lord. So what is this returning? What is, what is this repentance? The Hebrew word for return means to turn away from one thing and turn towards another thing. The first word appears, first time that word appears is in chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7, if you want to do a quick flip over, it's a, it's a reference to the hope of Gomer returning from her lovers to her husband. Return to your husband. Turn away from all those other lovers. And the way it was used was helpful of thinking about repentance. It is comparable, comparable to an adulterous spouse returning from her lovers and coming back to the one who has purchased her. Repentance means that you cannot have both. You can't have both. In Israel's case, it's the hope that one day she would return, turn away from her idols, turn away from her sinful actions, and that she would actually return, turn to the Lord, like we saw in Hosea chapter 3, verse 4. At, but at present, her sinful actions are making her repentance difficult. She is continuing in her sin. Now, what we find here in Hosea is even more fully explained and seen and revealed in the New Testament. Let me give you nine different ways. First, the Greek word for repentance. Let's see, Miss O'Day, those of you who've been along, around long enough, what is the Greek word for repentance? 
the Greek word for repentance. Meta, metanoia. Come on. You have failed your first Greek test. Metanoia, metanoia. So it's, it's going, it means a change of mind or a change of heart. It's a change of direction. It's a change of orientation. It's a change in your motivation. Metanoia. So, but, but there's also a, a, another picture of what it looks like. The, the call to follow Jesus involves leaving the old life behind. You see that in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. It's the call, come follow me. Or Jesus' message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or repentance is vital, a vital part of truly being converted. It is the turning from the old life towards a new life. Repentance is also a gift from God. It's not something that you can even conjure up. It's a gift from God. And you can see that in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You can see in Acts chapter 20 that repentance and faith are linked together. They're two sides of the exact same coin. True repentance in in Matthew chapter 3 comes from true faith and it always results in good works. In 2 Corinthians, sorrow, you see that sorrow and sadness are not necessarily the same as repentance. That's even something to keep in mind when it comes to your kids too. Sorrow and sadness does not necessarily mean repentance. And then in Hebrews 6, it's possible for some to have hardened hearts so much that repentance is no longer possible any longer. So when Hosea calls the people to to return to the Lord, it fits into a much broader theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. It's not just a, a thing for Hosea of returning to the Lord. This is the story, the call of all Scripture. Return, come to the Lord. And so repentance is a complete and irrevocable about face from the past towards a future that is shaped by the demands of God's reigns. So what does, what does repentance involve? It involves, it keeps on kind of identifying what a heart of repentance should look like or produce. And verse 2 indicates that this is some kind of a prayer. And there's, I, I, I see three things involved in here. First, there, when it comes to repentance, it, it involves an appealing to God. It's an appealing to God. Take away all iniquity. It's appealing to God. Would you, would you take away all the iniquity, all the sin? They should ask In repentance, they should ask God for repentance and to re-establish their relationship. Secondly, they should relinquish all their trust. You are called to relinquish all your trust in other things. You see that in in, uh, verse 3, that 
whether it be in the realm of politics or military might or idols, they are called to turn away from all these things. Relinquish trust in them. And I think this is a good thing to keep in mind even as we go into this crazy political season that's going to be coming up. Do not put your trust in these things. For it is even going to fade. Quit putting your trust in a party or even in a nation. Put your trust in God. Relinquish your trust in idols. But thirdly, they should find themselves rooting their hope in the character of God. And you see that even, I love that, that just that little phrase at the end of verse 3. In you, the orphans find mercy. Because where is mercy found? In God. So root your, all your hope, all your trust, all your dreams in the very character and person of God. In genuine repentance, we, we throw ourselves upon the mercy of God, turning away from anything that took His place, and we appeal to Him for forgiveness. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament when it comes to this idea is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I, I cannot wait for January. In January, we're going to walk through uh, 2 Corinthians. But listen to uh, 2 Corinthians when it talks about a heart of true repentance. For godly grief, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in this matter. D does that sound like you? Do you know what tr that true repentance is a vital part of what it means to be a follower of Christ? True repentance. Do you, do you have a repentance that is truly genuine? Truly genuine. That's like a a double positive, an overemphasis, but that is what repentance is about. It is truly genuine. It is authentic. Has your profession of faith, and Isaac and Jude hear this, has your profession of faith resulted in turning away from the things of your former life? Or are you still wallowing in your life before Christ? True repentance calls you to turn from your old life and turn to your new life. So when we share the gospel with someone, we need to explain it something like this. Now, receiving Jesus Christ means that God has changed you. That means that there are some things in your life that must change, that have to change. And as you're talking to this person, you can look at them and say, my guess is that you know some of those things right now. Because you are a new creation. The Spirit of God is living within you. And the Spirit of God immediately convicts you of sin. So my friend, you know some of those things within you. But it doesn't end just there. You are going to find 
other things. And when you do, embrace the change. Keep turning from your former life and keep turning towards Jesus because you now have a brand new master. He is a lover of your soul. But repentance doesn't just stop there. Repentance, my friends, is not a moment at conversion kind of thing that stays there. Repentance is a lifelong thing that continues throughout all of your days. You embrace, we are to embrace repentance every single day. Every single day. You keep repenting. Not because you have to in order to keep your salvation. No, we believe that once you are saved, you are always saved if you are truly saved in the first place. No, we repent because we know of the dangers of our sin. And we know the promise of what comes with repentance, which leads to the second major point. The first one is we, we need to be people of repentance. But there is also this, this second major thing that comes about. It's a promise that comes about when we are repentant, people of repentance. It leads to restoration. The remarkable thing about uh, repentance that is found throughout the Bible is that it's not just the right thing to do but it is the better thing to do. God motivates us to turn to Him or to return to Him because, why? Because of the divine healing that happens internally and externally and all the blessing. When we turn to Him, we are healed and we are blessed and we, because we're new creations. Something amazing is happening. God is not just saying, okay, you're better now, good job. No, God is doing a job of restoration in our hearts and our lives. In other words, part of the attraction of repentance is what is offered on the other side. So let's see how it appears here in Hosea. So God is wooing Israel back to himself. And he, he offers them the following. First, he is offering this. Healing for their betrayal. And it's true for you. In repentance, God is offering you healing for your betrayal. God's desire is to change their affections to change what they love and what they keep turning to. And in their returning back to Him, God aims to address the core problem that led them down the wrong road in the first place. So He is going to heal them of their betrayal. Secondly, what we also see in this process is that He loves them fully. And He delivers them from His wrath. God waits for His children with open arms. He is the Father in the prodigal son. He is, he is waiting for His children to come home. And He doesn't love 
disciplining. It's painful, but he does it because he does love them. He longs for them to be free of the judgment that is coming. God is ready and promises, listen, you return to me. Part of the restoration is I am going to love you fully. And that's as, as a parent, sometimes even as, as, as your children repent and they apologize, there's still part of you that goes, you're still ticking me off. That whole thing back there, I still feel a little angry about it. And I still have some reservations. But God is different than us. God says, come on home. I love you fully. And I have delivered you from a coming wrath. I have, my arms are open. Come on home. And then on top of that, we see this of God in this whole restoration process. God is a God who refreshes us he refreshes us you can this the the language that is found here in in this is reminiscent of the garden of eden hosea uses words that give the impression of a a luxurious garden did you pick that up it's it's in in verse five god will be like the dew to Israel. They will, they will benefit and they will be blessed. They will be blossoming like a lily, taking root like trees in Lebanon. There's going to be stability. There's going to be a beauty. There's going to be attractiveness. There's going to even be an odor about them that is like, <sighs> have you ever walked through a forest where there's no traffic? Isaac and I, when we went to Colorado together as family, we walked through the mountains. We took this hike. I, don't, I was exhausted. I was, but there were moments where we stopped by untouched streams. And the smell, the freshness, you could smell the pine trees. You can even smell the, the mustiness of the forest. And God is saying, listen, there is going to be a fragrance about you that is fresh and refreshing. But many of us have also smelt the stench of sin, haven't we? And you can even see it in a person's life of how they have aged 10 years in a year because of sin. Right? God's promise in, in restoration is to refresh a person. To make them whole again. And then in verse 7, we see this, this last little characteristic of restoration of how God is going to renew us. It's not just a, a freshen up job. The people will dwell under God's shadow. They will flourish like grain. They will blossom like a vine. And their glory will be renewed. And in verse 8, we find that God is personally caring for them and He will make them new. Did you pick that up? I will make you new. 
And this, this is a glorious picture, isn't it? it? It sounds like heaven, doesn't it? Or it should if you have those kind of ears. It's like, that is what is ultimately going to be happening. When, when we see Jesus face to face, all things are going to be made new. The glory of God is going to be around us, but it is going to be seen and experienced personally by me. My old brokenness is going to be gone. There is, I am going to be given a new body, a new mind, a new will, a new desire. Everything about me is going to be new. And it even sounds like God's original intent in the Garden of Eden. Beautiful, perfect, new, fresh. Walking with God in the cool of the day without any kind of shame. Why does that sound beautiful? Why does that sound so appealing? It's because God made us to long for that reality. There's an ache in our body to say, I just long for wholeness again. I just long for refreshing days. I long for sin to be gone and for me to experience wholeness. He created us with an appetite within us to crave that kind of peace, that kind of safety, that kind of health, that kind of blessing. We, we all crave it, especially those of us who are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, you, you long for it, but you don't know what it really looks like when it's perfectly revealed. But as believers in Christ, we are all longing for that, and we know where that end is going, don't we? Heaven. God expects us, or created us, with a a longing inside of us for mended relationships. God created within us a desire for sexual purity, for conflict resolution, for harmony. So when you are running off on a path that is contrary to God's will, there, are, there may be moments of, of pleasure and enjoyment. Right? This sin feels kind of fun. A little dangerous. And momentarily, it feels good. But at the end of the day, you know it is wrong, the wrong way to live. And the reality is, sin makes you tired. So tired. Tired. You are tired of the lies. You are tired of the manipulation. You are tired of the false promises. You are tired of the nagging guilt. And God offers the promise of restoring you totally, wholly, And in the Old Testament, it was offered even as a future promise. And you can see that in Ezekiel chapter 36. A future promise when God says, I will sprinkle you, sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall become clean from all uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, this heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules in the New Testament it sounds like this where the spirit of the Lord is and where the spirit of now the spirit of the Lord the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is 
there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So there's this progression of holiness and becoming more and more and more like Christ. This this process of being restored and renewed and becoming more and more like Jesus. If you don't give me an amen, I'm coming after you, right? That's what it's like. That is the Christian life being restored and being made new. Or Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And for those who belong to Christ Jesus, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That talks about our Christian life, right? And if we live by the Spirit, let us Keep step with the Spirit. So do you hear what the Bible is saying? The scandal of God's grace is simply that God is rescuing sinners from their sin. That's the scandal of God's grace. He could have left us on our own. And we could have stayed children of wrath. But the scandal of God's grace is that God is actually rescuing you from sin. That is, that's scandalous. So like Gomer, God is still buying people out of their slavery, the slavery of their own making. And he purchases us, purchases us with the death of His Son. And He provides us not only forgiveness, but a new power. By the Holy Spirit, to be made new. I love it. Just imagine what that would be like to have a restored marriage. To have a pure heart. To know that you are forgiven. To see real change taking place. And to be at peace with God. And that, my friends, is what is offered to you through Christ Jesus by becoming a follower of Christ. That is what is actually offered to you. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If both husband and wife are in Christ and new creations, can you imagine the power that is within you through the Spirit to see your marriage restored? Oh, it may take a while, but it's going to be made better and better each passing day. And here's the good news. It doesn't matter where you have been or what you have done. It doesn't matter. God is ready and willing and able for there to be a new relationship with Him today. And that brings us to the last verse. And it causes us to do a bit of reflection. Listen closely to that last verse. And maybe this is one of those, if you feel so moved, to highlight, circle, put a post-it note in. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them, these things that we've talked about. For the ways of the Lord are right. That's that's a critical phrase right there, right? For the ways of the Lord 
are right. They're, they're right. And the upright, if you are in Christ Jesus and you believed and you've meditated, you thought about and you've applied these things, the upright shall walk in them. But if you don't, the last phrase is, the transgressors shall stumble in them. This final verse is kind of a proverbial postscript. It kind of sounds like, if you'd read through the book of Proverbs, this sounds like something that you would, you would hear. It, it is written to those like us who read the book of Hosea. It's an invitation for us to actually consider our ways carefully. To really think about it. To sit in it. Do you hear what the word of the Lord is saying? Can, are, are you hearing it or are you hearing it? There's a difference between, uh, I hear what you're saying, Paul, but hearing it in a way that gets into your mind, travels to your heart, convicts your spirit, and leads towards an ultimate change. It's almost as if Hosea is saying, now that you read this book, what are you going to do? He's echoing what James is saying, right? James is saying, don't just be a hearer of the word but be a doer of the word. This verse appeals to those who are wise and discerning. Have you heard what Hosea has said? Do you know that you are Gomer? Do you understand the shocking image of an adulterous woman wandering away from her faithful husband? Do you feel the tension and the weight of this book? If the answer is yes, then let it sink into your heart. Let it get into those nooks and crannies and understand these words. Know these words. Get them into your bones. Be warned. Be warned. Be warned. And be encouraged. Because the bottom line is rather simple. The ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are not just suggestions for a nice way of living. The ways of the Lord are right. And therefore, you can say that there are two paths. There are two paths. We can either to decide to walk in the way of the Lord, or we can choose to walk in the way of transgressors and still continue to stumble in this life. There are two paths to be on. Every one of us is either on one path or the other path. And the question is, how will you choose to live? We can see this. Jesus even says that there are two, two, two paths. There is a narrow path. Or there is the wide path. Psalm 1 tells us that there are two kinds of ways. The ways of the wicked and the ways of the, the righteous. The Bible tells us that there are even two eternal destinations. One leading and one leading to hell. And the book of Hosea is about a God who gives grace to wayward people like you and me because He is God. At His character, even the orphans know that He is merciful, He is kind, He is gracious. And this is the scandal of His grace. He is ready and willing to pour out His grace on those who come to Him. So here is my question for you. And it's a simple one. Which 
side of God's grace are you on today? Why not agree with God today about the path that you are on and say, the ways of the Lord are right. Why not turn from your sin, O Christian, or maybe unbeliever, turn from your sin and turn to Christ? Why not be the Gomer that came home? Why not make today a defining moment in your spiritual life? And why not embrace the gift of God's scandalous grace and relentless love? Amissio Day Church, this is not a, a message just for those who are not believing. This is a message for you from the Lord. Will you hear and return to the Lord your God? Let's pray.